There's a lot of things in the faith that you can graduate from in this life, but one thing you're not gonna graduate from in this life is suffering. Let's enter this session on talking about the role of suffering in our spiritual growth and sanctification and how God uses it to make us like Jesus. Let's go. As a human being, we all are committed to having a great life. There's, there's no one that I've ever met on the planet that doesn't want a great life. And that great life would include, uh, whether it's education, whether it's enjoyment, whether it's great vacations, whether it's a great place to live, opportunity to splurge a little bit with shopping every now and then, and the opportunity to enjoy family and friends. And so we're, we're, we're committed to enjoyment and we're committed uh, to having a life of ease. Uh, the challenge though with that categorically is our lives naturally don't make room for the fact that our world is filled with challenges. It's impossible to turn on the local news, the national news or the international news. And I hear some tragic story about something happening in our world to remind us of the frailty of our world, the temporal nature of our world, and the brokenness of the world that we live in. And in light of that, as believers in Christ, the question on the floor for us is not will we seek opportunities to enjoy life, because God has given us the grace to enjoy life. He said, I want you to have life and life more abundantly. Uh, Paul will say, all things have been created uh, to be enjoyed by those who believe and know the truth. And so enjoyment is a part of being a child of God and in God's world, and God created it as the divine artist for us to enjoy this world. Yet because of the fall and because of Adam's sin and living in this broken world, we deal with a whole bunch of, a myriad of things that we really can't schedule on our lives. We, we, no one schedules sickness. No one schedules a car accident. No one schedules a plane, plane crash. Uh, uh, no one schedules a divorce. Um, no one schedules death. Uh, no one does. I mean, all of these different things are items in which are part of being in a broken and decaying world. And all of the tragedies that happen around us in, 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 in getting clarity and developing as a believer, we have to begin by God's grace, uh, getting biblical clarity on how do we work in the midst of wanting to build a life of enjoyment, wanting to build a life of ease, and yet there can be scheduled opportunities for us to experience brokenness. And we call that suffering. Uh, much of the New Testament uh, is talking about that idea of suffering. It's not absent from the Old Testament, but a lot of the New Testament uh, is about suffering. When you look at Jesus' ministry, and Jesus talks about his death going to the cross, he says stuff like, uh, um, I must suffer many things under the hands of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the chief priests and be delivered. The Son of Man must be delivered up and, to evil men and be crucified. Uh, you look at Paul uh, in, the, uh, in, in the book of Acts and uh, Jesus calls him to ministry on the day that he calls him to ministry uh, that he got saved. He says to him, I must show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so suffering is a big part of the matrix uh, that, 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 that we must begin to deal with and utilize and recognize that God utilizes it 
as a way to grow us spiritually and connects us as a means of grace to help us to grow. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I don't want to hear nothing about any, any kind of suffering. I mean, for, for most of us, I understand it, suffering is antithetical to us because we are on a, on a, on a committed drive of self-preservation. Uh, and so as we look in God's word and we look at what the word of God says and lays out in relation to suffering, uh, we're going to choose a few passages and look at this idea of suffering so that we can begin to say, uh, it's not that I'm going after suffering uh, because suffering is going to happen. You're either in three phases. You're in three phases of life. Number one, you're in a trial. <laughs> you're in a trial currently. Number two, you're coming out of a trial. Number three, you're going into one. And so the question isn't, is something bad going to happen to you? Are some emotional, physical, or natural challenges going to happen to you? The question is, how can you utilize the gospel of Jesus Christ, strengthening you by the power of the Spirit to be able to do something powerful, to be able to harness that time to maximize your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, see it as an affirmation of your identity in Christ and your connection with Jesus Christ and what God does passively through it as you actively pursue holiness in the midst of trials. Guess what he does? He grows you spiritually. One of the most powerful passages on this to me in the New Testament is Romans chapter 5. Paul in Romans is basically laying out his anthology of gospel ministry and gospel life. And so he starts in the book with uh, justification, sanctification moves towards glorification. And so in this section, uh, he's, final, he's, he's in the bridge. Chapter 5 is the bridge chapter. To me, it, it, it's connecting to the idea of justification, but it's pushing towards the role uh, that God utilizes in our life to not just positionally sanctify us, but to grow us spiritually. So if you look at verse one, you see it as a bridge. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so Paul is walking us through the fact that we're justified by faith. And as we're being justified by faith and being strengthened by faith, um, by uh, the work of Christ, finished work on the cross, that, that, that is a work that God does, has done in our life. But then you'll see next that he continues that work. It's beautiful here as he begins to go through. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Wow, 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 wow. So Paul is saying something. We, we rejoice or joy, if you will, means to have unending satisfaction with God no matter what. So that means no matter what season you and I are in, we're called to have unending satisfaction with the Lord no matter what. I mean, can you imagine uh, going through different phases of, of, of your life and being able to draw on the strength of the fruit of the spirit to be able to do that? I mean, if you can imagine um, a basketball player and, uh, throughout the, their, uh, 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 their team going through the season of basketball, preseason, you got preseason, you got the main season, and then if they're blessed or lucky, they get into the playoffs. Playoffs, things get a little tough. And if you get in the playoffs and then you get uh, 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 down to the, to the final, 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 final seven games, if a, if, if a team gets down to that, you have all of this having it happen uh, that's gone before preseason, main season, uh, 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 and also uh, what, what we call the playoffs. And now you've gotten in this game, these, these seven games, and a lot of times the guys are very exhausted. They're, they're, they're struggling and wrestling with,
with their windedness. Because right now your cardio is going to be shown through how beasty you are in this particular time. And the question for that player is, are you able to have a second win? Are you able to pull on some type of strength to give you the ability to press forward into the championship and win the game? Well, joy is that for us. Joy is God strengthening us through the championship work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection to be sustained in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of broken, broken times. So it's, it's almost our spiritual Gatorade, if you will. It's almost, uh, it's almost that which gives us uh, soul dexterity. And so when you look at uh, this idea of rejoicing, it's beautiful. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. So while we're in it, we rejoice. The assumption is we always rejoice, but the issue is that when we get in a trial, we shouldn't stop our rejoicing. Look at what Paul begins to say. He says, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance is consistency in the midst of adversity. Uh, 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 if, if you will, that, 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 that idea of suffering producing in us endurance means it gives us the ability to have more spiritual cardio than we can ever have and expands our ability, our spiritual lung capacity. And so what, one of the things that we must recognize is that God utilizes, God utilizes, God utilizes suffering as a means to grow us. Now, remember, we don't grow ourselves, but we connect to the things uh, willfully based on God placing them in our sphere for us to get connected to so that we can grow in the midst of it by God actively working on us, growing us in the midst of our difficulty. Um, I always give the example of my wife having had gone through a lot of difficulty. And my, my wife and I, we lost our first child. Um, she'd, been, she'd be 16 years old next year. Um, we, uh, she's gone through three bouts with cancer. Uh, she's gone through a liver transplant, uh, infection and rejection on that same liver. And so we're, we're heavily and heftily comp uh, 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 connected to the reality of suffering. We didn't choose for our daughter. We, we, if it was up to us, we would not have choose that our daughter died a stillborn birth uh, in six months in her womb. We wouldn't have chosen that. We wouldn't have chosen for my wife to be diagnosed with liver disorder. Uh, th that's a disorder actually in older uh, Caucasian men. Uh, she got it as a black woman at 24 years old, 24, 26 years old. And, and, and got, we wouldn't have chosen that. We wouldn't have chosen after she got that liver. She gets cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, three times. But somehow, in, the, in, the, in a way that I don't understand, uh, God allowed that to happen, those things to happen in our lives. And as we look back on our experience in going through them, God has brought us out of many of, many of those things. He didn't resurrect our daughter. We prayed for him to resurrect her. He didn't resurrect her. Uh, yet God utilized that in, in, in several ways for us to do what James chapter 1 uh, says. It says, count it all joy, my brother, when, my brother, and when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance, that same word, have its uh, full work in you. And if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So you got to understand, I, I, we, we, we didn't understand what in the world the Lord God was allowing to go on in our lives. Um, but one of the things that we did grab a hold of is asking the Lord for wisdom. Uh, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, he says, we were perplexed but not despairing. Uh, despair means to lose hope. So many times in trials, what can be antithetical to spiritual growth is allowing the beastiness and brokenness and the pain of the trial send you into a place where hope is not held on to. 
Paul says it's okay to be perplexed. In other words, perplexed means I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the heck is going on, right? And so, and so but, but I trust you, God. I don't, you know, you know uh, Job said, though they slay me, yet will I trust him. And so, and so why, why is that idea of hope so important? Because if you're not grabbing a hold of, and we'll see in Romans chapter five, that reality very powerfully. If you're not grabbing a hold uh, to enduring during the trial and seeing God working out your salvation, in the midst of your trial, uh, willing and working his good pleasure, you will lose hope because you don't get to see continuously the picture of what God is shaping as he's chiseling you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what it says here. It says, it says an endurance produces character. Wow. Character, godly character or godliness. Uh, 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 this idea of being actually to look like Jesus Christ is what this idea of character points to. I remember we had a sculptor uh, here at our church and um, the sculptor was, and I tell this all the time, uh, he was, uh, I, I was blown away by his ability to basically sculpt an image out of a stone. I just, it just blows my mind. And, and I said, how in the world, I asked him, I said, how in the world do you work on a, like when you look at this big old rock and you begin chiseling, like, do you do a pre-sketch? How, how does it work? And he said, he said, Pastor, um, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm not really sculpting anything. And I was like, what do you mean? He says, see, when you look at the rock, you see a rock. He says, but when I look into the rock, I don't see, when I look at the rock, I don't see a rock, I see an image within the rock. All I view myself as doing is removing those things that are in the way of the image that's within the rock. Guess what suffering is? Suffering is the greatness of God through the gospel, chiseling you into the image of Christ, by moving the brokenness and decay of this world out of the way so that he can get to the divine image that God has put in you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so why do we embrace suffering? Because whoever, whoever in Christ bears fruit, he, 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 he what? He uh, prunes them that they may bear more fruit. Guess what pruning is? Pruning is cutting away access things that get in the way of our growth. And guess what? Pruning is painful, but, the, but as painful as pruning is, pruning is mad fruitful. Let's look at what Paul says, a few more things before we shut it down. Look, look, look at what he says. He says, endurance produces character, and character, guess what it produces? Hope. Hope is the visionary picture of a preferred future that is transformed by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is hope? Hope is the ability to see beyond where you are, to know that God has better for you. The Bible says, I consider the sufferings of this present life not to uh, be worthy to be compared to the glory of which is to be revealed in us. Uh, one, one, one passage says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of all of them. And so as you look at this passage and you look at really the corridors of all of these different things and work through this idea of suffering, that means that I'm going to suffer. We, we, we've seen that as a reality. And since I am going to suffer, I, I have to maximize that time by not shutting down praying to the Lord. I have to maximize that time uh, by, 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 by continuing to be a faithful husband, a faithful wife, a faithful single person, a, a faithful person at work or a, a, a faithful person. That doesn't mean that, that you're, not, you're not honest with God about your brokenness. Somebody say, I, I want to be real about what I'm dealing with. You can be honest about what you're dealing with because Psalm 62, 8 says, pour out your heart before the Lord. What does that mean? That means that you can be honest about what you're going through to God and others. But the goal is not for us to remain 
in venting, in a place of venting, because venting can turn to stagnancy and complaint. But what we want to do is we want to be honest about what's going on. It's, we're not going to act like it's not going on. Uh, some people want to act like it's not going on as if they're walking in victory. But we're called to actually acknowledge the reality of what's going on and the work of Christ and what's going on so that God can actually work. God can actually heal. God can actually strengthen and God can actually transform. And so it says, and hope does not put to shame. Love that. Why does hope not put to shame? God doesn't, hope not put, being put to shame means God doesn't leave us out there by ourselves. If we go through something and we're clinging to him, that hope of that preferred future that God is going to ultimately bring when Christ returns. And even in between now and then, God is going to give many thematic sort of trailered in resurrections in your life. And these resurrections show up in so many ways. David says in Psalm 4:1, thou has delivered me in my distress. What is he saying there? He's saying, God didn't necessarily take me out of my trial, but while I was in the midst of my trial, he gave me a sense of deliverance while I was yet in the difficulty of my circumstances. So that, 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 that should be encouraging to someone is that God doesn't leave us alone. He does deliver us. He will ultimately deliver us, but then he'll give us many deliverances, little small deliverances, even without full deliverance from our difficulty. But we can press forward in him because he's given us the greatness of hope through the finished work of Jesus Christ as our Lord. And so he says, and hope does not put to shame because what? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Um, Peter says, do not be surprised of the fiery trial that's happened to you. Believer, you're going to have times where you're trial free. You're going to have times where you are baptized in the fire of trials. Don't be surprised at them, but take them, maximize them, and use it to the glory of God. In closing, uh, I was watching uh, a fighter get ready for a fight, and I, I was blown away of the fact that they put this band around the fighter's waist, and the fighter was running and wasn't going anywhere. It, it was crazy. How in the world can you be running and not going anywhere and that benefit you? And the fighter understood and knew that under that band that was around their waist and their trainer holding the back of the band, and, 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 and they're, try, they're just running as the trainer's pulling, they're running as the trainer's pulling, and at that time, they're developing muscle strength. At that time, they're developing a greater sense of endurance. And, and one of the things that they're working on the most is how to run and how to persevere athletically in the midst of intense resistance. That's what's beautiful about being a believer. The more you go through, the more expansive your dexterity and strength and power and speed and patience and you, 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 you're going to grow and develop and God is going to do a work. Let me tell you, don't waste time in your trial uh, focusing in on the brokenness of the circumstance, but believe God by faith that he's working and willing in you his good pleasure and working everything after the counsel of his own will to make you better. But guess what? It's not just for you. It's to strengthen and encourage the people around you. God bless you.
suffer well, and I pray that the Lord grows you strong in him in the midst of your difficulty. God bless you. It was 1996, my last year of undergrad, and I started experiencing severe fatigue and went to the doctors to find out what was going on with me. And uh, the doctor told me that I had a rare liver disease. And uh, when I found out about the liver disease, it was just before I was getting ready to head off to seminary to start my next journey of um, ministry work. And literally right after I got there, I ended up in the hospital with a bacterial infection. Um, while I was there, I received my accurate diagnosis for the liver disease, which was primary sclerosing cholangitis. And that liver disease is more common in Caucasian men in their 40s, and I at the time was 24, and obviously African-American female. So that was really confusing for me, and um, God in his sovereignty while I was at the sem seminary that year, the class that I had was a class on um, sanctification. And basically in that class, after I was in the hospital for a week and went back to class, the prof asked um, if anybody had any questions. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've come here from home, um, never been away from home. I'm here to, to serve the Lord. And why would he allow me to, you know, go through this? And he, you know, in his nice, kind, sweet voice, basically pointed me to the scriptures. Um, the Corinthians passage where it talks about how we through our sufferings are able to be able to encourage others in their suffering as a result of what we go through. And that was the beginning of my journey. Um, and by the year um, 2000, the doctors were telling us that um, I was really going to need a transplant soon. Um, at this point, my husband and I were pregnant with our second child. First child we um, lost within that school year um, before we graduated from seminary. I was six months pregnant. Um, and that was definitely devastating. Uh, and it was, it was a hard season and just trying to figure out how are we gonna navigate the rest of the school year um, with that loss. Uh, but God clearly showed my husband and I both um, the Romans 8 passage that where it says that I reckon that the sufferings are of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And of course, at the time, um, as we, I was grieving, I was like, God, what kind of glory can you get out of this? Um, I, I just didn't understand and um, was just, you know, trying to figure it out in my brain. And of course, I had to just kind of settle and say, okay, God, I, I trust you. Um, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm, I'm going to choose to trust you. I ended up getting my transplant in November of 2002. And matter of fact, I'm coming upon my um, 13 year transplant anniversary. Um, and by God's grace, um, let's see, six surgeries and four successful pregnancies later, um, God has just been gracious um, in allowing us to kind of come full circle. At least I can say that now, because I know that there's more to come um, in this process of being sanctified through suffering. But one thing that I want to share too is how one of my, journey, one of my experiences in the hospital was when um, I had had, um, I want to say maybe three surgeries at the time, and they checked this infection and they saw that there was a leak in my incision. 
but they couldn't figure out where the leak was. And so they ended up sending me back to surgery for exploratory surgery. And I'd had a couple of those and the doctor still couldn't find this hole. Well, um, at this point I'm frustrated because my mom is, is now in Arkansas with our two-year-old son and my husband and I are in Texas and you know we're just in there like God what are you doing because you know we're trying to prepare for church planning and why are we in two different places there must be a bigger purpose here besides you know the doctors and the hospitals collecting our lifetime max on insurance and so it was in that moment when I finally was like Lord what are you doing that God showed me that you know this isn't about you this is really about me and what I have for you, even in this moment, in the midst of your suffering. And so he, he was showing me that I needed to have his perspective. And, and I had to die to just the reality that this is a hard time, but you, you have a purpose for this whole process. And so I said, okay, God, what do you want from me in this moment? And he said, okay, I want you to pray for the staff. By this time, I had... Um, been going to this hospital off and on for two years, so they knew me. So I started praying for this people that came in, the techs, the nurses, and one of the nurses that came in happened to be um, a Russian nurse. And in the midst of me praying with her, the Holy Spirit reminded me that one of the mentor moms that I had happened to be a missionary to Russia. And how amazing was that? Because most of the time missionaries are to a Spanish-speaking country, but she was specifically missions in Russia. And so I called her and I was like, listen, there's this tech here and she's, you know, she's from Russia. She said, well, I'll bring you a Bible. I was like, cool. So when I got the Bible and I gave it to the tech, she was just blown away and just overwhelmed and just very grateful. Um, and was like, you know, why would you do this? You know, you're going through your own thing. And, and I was like, you know, but God has a bigger purpose. I mean, even for this time. And, and, and I just would encourage you to, to read this, you know, in your language. And I don't know what, you know, ever came of that. I'm hoping that, you know, when I get to glory that I will get to see this evidence that God was already just helping me to understand that there's a, a bigger picture that, that, that suffering is about him getting glory and that maybe one day I'll see this woman in heaven. But ultimately what God has shown me through all the different seasons of suffering that I've endured, including three bouts of cancer, is that you have to have his perspective that he has an, an, an ultimate goal in mind and that is for his glory and for his purpose. As you can see, none of us can avoid suffering. And I hope that that session gave you clarity on how you can harness those times to maximize how God wants to grow you. The, the point of that session wasn't to discourage you, but the point it was to encourage you in relationship that there's hope in the midst of difficulty.